episode 106, Cash Practice PT, Modern Manual Therapy, G Suite EMR, Edge Rehab. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we're Dr. Erson Rigidoso III's perspective. Join 2017 and 2018 Podcast Awards nominated host as we get a behind the curtain look at all types of doctors and guest specialties. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. Welcome back to the show. I tell you what, uh, being home, being with family, seeing everybody love on my kid is just heartwarming. I know y'all know the feeling. Well, I do hope your holidays were good. I hope you got some goals set for yourself for 2019. Heck, it's middle of January. Uh, if you haven't, contact me. I can definitely help you with that, a marketing strategy, coaching, whatever you need. You know, justin at a doctorsperspective.net is the email. But look, remember to implement with the goals that you set. You know, hire a coach to, to help you if you need to. Uh, invest in yourself for 2019 so that you can make it the best year. And hey, tune in. We're going to have a lot of good podcasts this year, plus all the other ones, to really help you navigate better marketing and better referrals. And, you know, as an entertainment value, to learn more about what other doctors are doing out there. And today's guest is great. He is the guy behind the manual therapist, the modern manual therapist, really, is what he likes to say. And we're going to go over cash practice, how to do it, pitfalls, you rent space out of a gym, do you drive around, do you have your own place, what's a good rate, what should you charge? Uh, we're going to go into, you know, new concepts in manual therapy. I mean, do we need to brew somebody with these uh, ISTM tools or just, you know, light touch, okay? We're going to go through that. And he has some products. Uh, everything's called Edge. So it starts out with the Edge Mobility ISTM tool. It's on my radar for a long time. And he also has these two products that we'll talk about called the Suspension Trainer and a uh, blood flow restriction cuff. And I thought it was kind of going to be like flossing, the floss bands, but it's not really. And it's got a lot of research to back it up, and he has his version of it. And one thing that also I heard him on a, uh, another podcast and a couple of the, uh, other cash tees, which we're also going to interview in the next two weeks or so, uh, Joseph Simon and Aaron Lavar. They're both all, three of these people, are cash practice, and they all have their own podcast, talking about it, interviewing other doctors. So I'm really excited to have them on because we can really pick their brains about what's working and what's not working. And so one of the things that they have is uh, Dr. E, our guest, and Dr. Aaron coming up. They both helped with this thing called G Suite for Inexpensive EMR. And that means Google, doc, you know, Google Documents, Google Forms. And using that for your EMR, because you're not building insurance, maybe you don't need that big fancy. So talk about that and how to... And look, all of his products, I'm going to affiliate with it as well. So all of the products, if you go to edgemobilitysystem.com slash discount slash trosclair10, you can get 10% off anything you order. Now, if you go to the show notes page, each item that he has, it's it's a hyperlink. So again, edgemobilitysystem.com slash discount slash trosclair10. Save yourself 10%. All right. All the show notes can be found at a doctorsperspective.net slash 106. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Live from China and Buffalo, New York, today on the show, we've got a doctor of physical therapy. He's the man behind modern manual therapy. The guy hosts two podcasts called Untold Physio Stories and Therapy Insiders. He has all these amazing tools that you can use and to, for rehab and everything. Uh, he's a cash practice, so a lot to pick his brain about. Please welcome to the show, Dr. E, a.k.a. Dr. Erson Relioso III. That's not bad. I've been, definitely been introduced worse. I mean, people butcher my name every day. So, <laughs> hey, thanks for having me on the show, Justin. Absolutely. You know, here in China, they just call me Lao Jia, like Ja. Is, it, I don't know where they get this stuff from, but uh, it just means old man. So I'm like, thanks, guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure it's very referential. 
Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, like kind of did the quick intro, there's so many avenues to talk to you about. Uh, you got all these products. I want to discuss those. You have cheap Google using that for your EMR, which blows my mind because I'm like you. I don't want to spend a lot of money. None of these recurring themes. The one I use is actually you pay one fee and you're good to go until the next update a couple years later. No monthly fee. Big fan of that. So I really want to know about that. And then we'll just touch on some of the cash practice stuff because I know it's getting popular in chiropractic. It's getting popular in physical therapy. You know, everybody says, oh, nobody wants to pay. But in reality, they do. And you guys have waiting lists sometimes so so far so good yeah yeah it sounds good although i'd have to say isn't everyone traditionally a cash practice and chiropractic and then late you know later they jumped on hmos and everything well when you say later i mean we're talking still the 80s we got on the insurances but then in the last 10 years since i've been in practice uh 11 years now it became more popular where people were just saying hey you need and i didn't like this Hey, you need these three thousand dollar thirty six visit treatment plans, no matter what you have. And you're like, Oh, oh man, my gosh, you're killing it. This is why nobody yeah. likes chiropractic. Come on. Right. Yeah, you don't <laughs> ever see a physical therapist make someone sign a contract for five thousand dollars that they need to come twice a week. I had a patient say they had to come twice a week, five days a week for six months, and then it was daily for three months, then it was three times a week for two months, then it was twice a week for two months. And when I was seeing her, she was still in the daily. Or the the by daily, and she from forty five minutes ago. This guy, and she had upper cervical instability, and he was adjusting her upper cervical spine, and she had some sort of like massive brachiari. Um, and I was like, I don't really think <laughs> you should be having this adjusted, or much less, like once once a year, much less like twice a day, and whatever. But anyway, we're not here to bash Kyra. There's good, there's good, and bad, never question. Good well, you know, right? the, the, the only thing we typically hear from like PTs is like the ones that are lazy. They did ultrasound and I did some stretches that oh, I could have done at my house and I've been doing it for six weeks. It's the worst. Oh, you're like, that's got to get underneath your skin. Yeah, we just talked about the worst chiros. The worst PTs are the most apathetic. Like, you went to school for this? Like, that really, ultrasound and e-stim, maybe, and, and that's even more so than, if you even gave up ultrasound and e-stim, then typically, most people's perception of, of bad PT, which is like average PT, is your PT might meet with you for like maybe 20 minutes of the first visit, and the office person gives you your exercise card, and you pretty much pay a copay to belong to a gym. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, you never, your PT might say hi to you, take some range motion measurements and that's it but i'm not that kind of pt yeah check <laughs> an insurance box chiropractic pt you know we have those people like right. check a box get paid i did my eight minutes <laughs> necessary yeah. it's not right it's about eight to 15 minutes yeah. yeah it's uh it's not it's not difficult to float to the top it's not even, it's not difficult to be the cream uh, or to the right of the bell curve actually right. in, in, in many professions which is sad it's yeah. sad especially when it comes to healthcare. you know i guess your average accountant isn't probably hurting anyone at least physically yeah well let's let's go i'm gonna reverse my order then because since we're kind of chatting about this so far so you you are a cash practice right yeah i transitioned to cash practice probably about maybe three or four years ago at this point yeah but i'm i've practicing for 20 years and for the first 12 years of my career i kind of did a traditional hmo and then i um i did a practice a practice i I was almost leasing space from a practice and just paid per patient I brought in. Um, but I had like a, like I was essentially almost like a hairstylist. He was like renting a chair, you know? That's not nice. Um, I didn't have, yeah, I didn't have a lease, but my, what I, we were HMO based and what, what my lease fee was, was they would take a portion of every patient, what? which actually it worked really well. Okay. Um, 
you know, because it wasn't like a violation of Stark laws or anything, but they just a portion of their reimbursement was worded such that it wasn't a violation of Stark laws or anything. It's not like I, they, they were paying me for referrals because uh, I would bring in all my own referrals. I would do my own marketing and everything. But yeah, I had uh, otherwise no no overhead, you know. Yeah, because whatever that percentage is, you probably would have spent more than that if you had your rent, fax machine, mar- you know, all that stuff that you have to do when you have your own clinic. Absolutely. Yeah, and it worked fairly well until I decided to go cash-based. And I decided to go cash-based because I started having – I started selling the edge tool. I started blogging. I started making a name for myself in the social media uh, world, and I started having alternative means of monthly recurring revenue. So then for me, going cash-based was much less of a risk because I didn't have uh, I didn't have as much risk going into it. You know, I didn't have to all of a sudden just go out and work and hopefully my patients would follow me. Mm-hmm. Um, so because I was teaching seminars and I had product and everything that we would get into, um, it, for me, it was just something I always wanted to do and get paid with what I felt was, was I was worth. But I was still spending one-on-one time with patients. I just didn't make nearly as much money as your PT who sees four to six people an hour. Yeah. And I listened to a couple of Cash PT podcasts and Maybe that's why they have to charge 150 to 350, like in New York City type of prices, because they're only seeing like one at a time. Yeah, I mean it's pretty easy too. Also, because a lot of a lot of cash PT, you might have an office person, but I mean these people, uh, you know, it's easy to have online scheduling, online uh, p- payment uh, portals, and POS, you know. So we're typically just like a a, a small practice. Maybe we just rent space. Or for me, it was a table in a gym. For uh, many years, still I still just kind of have a table and a little bit of equipment in my daughter's uh, gymnastics facility now, and that's pretty much where I see patients a couple of days a week. So yeah, I mean, cash PT, anything, concierge type practice, you get to practice how you want. Typically, most people get into it so they can charge the rates what they feel like they're worth, spend as much time as they need with the patient, and uh, provide that experience that they've always wanted to. I mean, I don't know too many cash PTs who get into it charging you know 150 to 350 an hour. And still seeing four people an hour. <laughs> I don't know. As a patient, ooh, there's better be some intense works out that I have to do on my own. <laughs> right, I got a fancy right. piece of equipment over here. So there's a hey, follow-up. It's all in the presentation. People pay, people pay for, you know, yeah. I have the latest iPhone. People pay for it, you know, the, the more expensive it is. Although That's you're not even dealing Apple these days, so. <laughs> Well, then are you noticing you know, you're selling 30-minute blocks, an hour block. You just have to get more creative. You're like, well, you know, I could do some myofascial work with a tool or something, and you know, I'm not forced to do 15 minutes because I literally only need to do three or four, and you're good to go in this spot, then transition to other things. Like, do you ever feel like you have to make up something those last 15 minutes? Or I've had people pay me up front. Like, people pay me because they find me online and watch me on YouTube or Instagram or whatever. They failed with whoever they're seeing. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're a difficult case because, as you know, people with chronic pain just means they have pain for long. Not necessarily that it's some sort of true persistent pain state like fibromyalgia or central sensitization. It just means that they've been getting bad care, you know? Yeah. So I had a person pay me once. He drove for like four hours to see me, paid three hours. He was a massage therapist as well. He read my stuff online. I ended up, you know, addressing most of his concerns in 45 minutes. He's like, well, I still got like two hours and 15 minutes with you. So I just mentored him. But for the... That's because here's another here's another type of clinician. For the most part, uh, I try to spend as little time with people as possible, and then you know I don't charge them until after. That's the difference. I used oh. to have an online I used to have an online portal payment uh, through Square that they would use Square Calendar and they would pay for the visit up front. But that led to those problems. You know, I, someone paid me for an hour and I'd be done with them in half an hour, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to sit here and count your reps for another half an hour. 
Yeah. You know, so then I would have to I would have to refund them because because you can't like, just it's like rollover minutes. Week. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not just gonna like for minutes like a AT and T or Verizon plan, <laughs> cell phone plan, and, and uh, just roll it over. It's it's unethical. You can't. You're charging for um, medically necessary treatment essentially, even if they want you to keep the money or as a tip or whatever. Yeah. Um. So I, I, that's why I only have them pay after. That's pretty cool. Wow, I haven't heard that one yet. I really like that idea because if you are done in 15 minutes, of course, your scheduling could be off. So how do you deal with that? Like, I thought it was going to take 30, and now I'm not seeing as many people this day as I could have, or it doesn't really matter. Well, I, I see a, a lower volume caseload. You know, I might only see three or four people in a day. Mm. So if I'm, if I'm running behind or someone's a little late, it doesn't it doesn't stress me out anymore because I know I don't have ten people waiting in the waiting room. Okay, and like you said, you do have a extra income at the place, right? Even if I saw a full caseload, what I considered like an eight hour day, just knowing that I only had, I probably would only schedule that with, with you know six people oh, or something okay. like that. Just yeah, okay. I just wouldn't overbook. I mean, and that's the thing. I I wouldn't have to overbook knowing that I would have made whatever I felt was necessary to, you know, be black essentially. And let's be honest, if you're that much of a marketer, like you're you're you're, you're implying, there's always something to do. <laughs> there's always a video you could edit in those 10 minutes or 20 minutes that you didn't have a patient in between. And there's always something that you could do busy work that needs to be done anyway. Absolutely. If it wasn't just social media or editing videos or doing something like that, I would just work out. Like if a patient cancels, I'm like, great, I'm going to go work out. <laughs> yeah. Cause you got like five kids, don't you? I do have five kids and I have a six, six on the way. Yeah. So I mean, your time is precious when we're talking after work or before work. For sure. And, and, you know, one of the um, one of my favorite things to do, actually, just to how I manage my day, because being in social media and having, you know, podcasts and uh, YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, I'm always creating content and I'm always writing and, and filming and recording. So one of the best things I ever started doing was just time blocking, you know, because I know I had all these things to do and I would always kind of mentally cross them off. Once I started assigning certain times of certain days, like I'm going to answer, answer emails from 9 a.m. to you know, 9.30 a.m. on um, every day. I'm going to shoot a video, you know, at, at this time on Monday from like 10 to 11. I'm going to uh, edit audio files from Wednesday, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to see patients at this time. So when you, you have like certain things time blocked on your calendar or whatever you use, it's, it's a much more objective way to kind of get things done and then cross them off a list. It's supposed to always just thinking, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. And, and you're much more efficient too. No kidding. Wow. If anybody's listening, I'm just kidding. That was a, that was a really, really good point he just made. I've, I've mentioned this before in past podcasts. When you block your time, you know what's coming up. And if you don't get to it, you know you can just put it on for later. Otherwise, you end up surfing on Facebook for too long or watching uh, the, the YouTube rabbit hole. And you're like, oh, man, I was actually supposed to do something on YouTube. I wasn't supposed to just watch videos today. Dang it. So good job on that. People do things on YouTube. <laughs> You know, you gotta upload them and <laughs> write stuff. The captions. Mm-hmm. Okay, patients are gonna ask you, "Hey, doc, you take insurance? I have a, I, I got this great insurance. I want to use it." And then you say, "Nah, man, I don't take it, but you can pay me cash." Like, how does that conversation work? Well, let me tell you, if I know I have to spend more than three or four minutes convincing someone why they're not my client, mm. period. You know it. it I again, I don't. I, I direct market to patients. I don't do doctors referrals or anything anymore. Okay. Just how anyone should direct market. I always tell people, you know, Apple direct markets to consumers. They don't like market to AT and T. 
that's what it's that would be like you hiring the doctors because all you have to do is get one patient to complain to the doctor and they're never going to send you a patient again. Yep. You, you spent like five years doing well with 90% of that doctor's patients, the wrong person at the right time will make that doctor hate you. Mm-hmm. So typically the patients you find have Googled me, you know, they might uh, look at a lead generator that I made or something like that. Because all the same digital marketing strategies that everyone uses for any business can be used for healthcare, just that healthcare for the most part, by and large, has not adopted it. So maybe the lead generator, they did like a discovery visit with you or whatever. You know, they're already invested in why they need to pay their health. They've looked at my tagline, better and four, see me no more. And they're kind of like, oh, maybe this could offer something different. He's he's one-on-one. He doesn't have assistance or anything like that. You know, any of the stuff that I put on my landing page that would interest someone to make them think that, oh, this is a probably a better experience. I'm, I'm selling the experience from providing someone with the best care possible. So typically I'm looking for people who are willing to pay for that, but also not a network, right? When people say, oh, do you take insurance? I say, no, but look, this is how much I charge charge an hour. The first visit is typically always an hour unless you have some kind of super simple case, which I don't want to, you know, cut things short or do a half job evaluating you. But I will give you what normally I will insurance. You go ahead and submit that to your insurance and you get reimbursed as long as you have added network benefits. You know, and I kind of break that down. Maybe you'll get reimbursed 78% of what I charge, and then you might, it might even pay lower than what your copay is. In Buffalo here, some people have like $45, $60 copays, and ironically, it's, that's actually more than we get reimbursed. No kidding. I know. Yeah, we get reimbursed like $40 for, you know, once we pass two units, we're already, getting, we're already charging way more than we get reimbursed. We can see someone for three hours, still going to get $40. They have a $60 copay. Patients always think, right, like the $40 that you get reimbursed on top of their dollars I'm like, no, literally, they're, your insurance company is reimbursing zero because you, your copay is more than yeah. insurance. And they still, take a, they still take a visit away, which is a crazy thing, right? Like they paid, plus they paid deductible. zero. <laughs> right, they paid zero plus the deductible. The insurance company didn't pay anything, and they still take one of the allotted visits away, even though they didn't pay anything. Yeah, you only get 10 now. You're like, wait, what? This is not it cool. It makes zero sense. Yeah. Still work for an insurance company, too. And that could be like part two of the podcast. I could tell you horror stories from that. But, oh, uh, so uh, follow-up question. I, I meant to ask it a second ago. I've seen people, like you said, you rent space uh, out of the, your daughter's gymnastics studio. Some people do CrossFits. And I've heard people driving around all over. Uh, how does somebody make driving around work? Have you ever tried that? I tried it for a bit, and it only took me like one or two not great experiences at certain patients' houses for, to make me never want to do it again. Okay. And I think, I feel like that is, it's NASA. Like it might be coming, it might be the next thing. Like I know some people kind of it seems inefficient make to that me. work. I mean, it, even when my wife did traditional PT home care, it, all it took was two patients to cancel and all of a sudden her whole day is ruined because she's trying to do this and you know worry baby at the same time mm. and she had to always have like run home between visits and nurse nurse the baby and then get back to my mom and and run out and see a patient again patient that would you know reschedule or something that that would be very difficult and it, granted you know actually home care make way more reimbursement um, compared to like outpatient PTs but I, I I've offered that and I typically, I just charge a lot more to cover for the time and the fuel and whatever. That's how I, I offer it. But then I, I kind of just went to, let's just do, you know, Skype or FaceTime or something like that. And I call it a consultation rather than a visit because it's not really a visit mm-hmm. um, if it's someone out of state. Ah, 
can you teach? I mean, obviously you can't do manual therapy to somebody, but you could teach them how to like use a lacrosse ball or uh, how to do some kind of mobilization of their ankle or how to do these different exercises. Can you do that through Skype? Does that work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole point of I teach uh, my brain is eclectic approach to modern manual therapy, and I have a couple of other courses to modern strength training, modern patient education brand. But what I teach modern manual therapy, uh, my one of my quotes is the goal of manual therapy is to make your nervous system and tissues be able to accept load and move threat free. So the whole point of manual therapy that I teach any patient, even for day one, is it has this transient window where you can feel better and load better and move better and walk farther. But unless you kind of unless you keep that up and keep the window open, then you're not going to right, period. Because anyone who has ever said, Oh, knee links may be better, adjustment may be better, manipulation may be better, mobilization may be better, IS may be better, that didn't last, I always say that's because you're not doing the right program. Or you're not dosing the home program high enough. Because basically research shows that the the transient or temporal effects of mobilization manipulation might last five to 45 minutes or two to four hours, depending on whatever study you read. So essentially, when I tell things like that to patients, I'm like, I'm going to give you a very simple exercise, which I call a reset, because all it does is it resets your nervous system. And you're going you're gonna, to you keep on, keep, you keep on that window open. Because basically, the longer you've had pain, the more vigilant or protective your nervous system is, your brain's only doing its job. It's going to start to shut that window because it's trying to protect you. And that window is closed. And I can kind of use my hands. If you can imagine, like, opening and closing a window, when the window is, is almost closed, you're, you have a smaller zone, like I call it a buffer zone, where you can do activities or your range is less. Uh, you know, the, the amount of time you can pay is less. But if you do your sets, it's like how if I were to needle you or adjust you or manipulate you, that kind of opens the window. And each one of those each one of those techniques might be like a plus five. I will give you something similar to continuously novelly and non-threatening st- stimulate your nervous system. So every time you do this home program, it might be like a plus five, right? Because you have to have something, a high enough dose to just keep that window open. If you only do it once a day, which is the, kind of the failure, I think, of most rehab clinicians, to give people these great exercise home programs, but the dosage isn't high enough. You know, I always tell people it's kind of like a, like a Z-pack or a steroid pack. The initial dosage needs to be high and your nervous system needs to be convinced that whatever activity or position that it has uh, learned is threatening, but not necessarily truly threatening. It needs to be convinced that that is safe. So if you do a high enough dosage for a high enough time within the first 48 to 72 hours, you should be able to keep a significant amount of between visits. So there's nothing magical at what I do. You know, one of your questions to me on, on the email was, did the blower not get, her, get better? Absolutely. But I think the majority of people, like if you have like a 50-50 success rate, you're not, you're not prescribing the home program as a clinician. Very interesting. It's because you, like you said, you teach the modern, uh, modern manual <clears throat> therapy. So yeah. what is something that would separate you from, I mean, you kind of get exp- explained a lot of it, but you know, if, some, if you took, somebody took your course, whether it's an online course or they came out and, and did a, a in-person one, what, what's one or two things that they could take away to, um, to know like, man, I really should look into this further because it, it seems like it's doing more than the, what I learned in the past. Right. Well, I'm a traditionally trained manual therapist, meaning that, you know, I'm a fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual as a therapist, I taught in three fellowship programs. I learned a lot of the things that you know, manual PTs, osteopaths, and chiros learned. You know, palpation-based assessments, what I call pressing and guessing or poking and hoping. And and you know, when we all kind of learn those things, if you instantly felt a connection, you know, you instantly felt uh, uh, millimeters of gapping or approximation of the set joints or spinous processes. If you instantly felt that, you didn't have to convince yourself that you were feeling something then you are just fooling yourself, right? Like any of these assessments, these palpation-based assessments are so difficult, right? They're, 
all the sounds that we learn that are passive and instruments that we learn are passive, they're so difficult to perform. Everything I teach is easy. And everything I teach basically doesn't have palpation. Um, mo- I teach a way to make every single manual therapy technique be either pain-free or at least as pain-free as possible. And that's very contrary to what I learned because everything that I learned was, hey, you know, let's palpate for hypermobility or something being in and out of the place, right? And yeah. and it turns out the majority of those con- the majority of those concepts have, are all outdated. They've all pretty much been proven. There's very little to no research that shows there are any mechanical effects of any kind going on. You know, when I was doing some tissue work, I initially learned you needed to push on the fascia or the joint capsule hard enough so you get into that plastic range, so you deform it. And, and I think the problem is I had success. You know, I invented an ISTM tool because even though I was a rock climber at the time in my 20s, my hands were getting tired because I was seeing maybe 15 patients a day just beating the tar out of them, basically bruising them. I would tell my students, you don't bruise someone by the end of the week, you have a enough job. Yeah. But we've all done that. We've all had taken, you know, seen ISTM, uh, people who, who've had ISTM under IT band, and they were bruised, but yet their knee felt better. The problem is that as we are victims of our own success, we, we are very aggressive typically in treatments. We still have success after that. And we think that the force was necessary. And I've transitioned from, pretty much bruised me for 12 years to the last eight years of my career. And then when I teach ISM, I teach uh, you need to scrape the tool or your hand with the amount of a force of a cat or dog licking you. You're still going to get an effect because all you're doing is you're stimulating the nervous system through yeah. the can receptors in the skin, the hair follicles. You know, you're not deforming anything because literally fascia and joint capsule can take thousands of pounds of force before it deforms 1%. So however strong you are, you know, unless you're the Incredible Hulk or Superman, whichever uh, comic book you like, comic book universe you're probably not doing anything mechanical right that's the one thing i did learn before is that what we thought it was doing boom, 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 boom. now we actually know that, that's not really what it's doing they got what you're talking about now it's it's the nervous system thing is actually working on a completely different system than we originally expected right because all we're doing is we're, we're changing the perception of stretch we're changing the perception of threat so we, we have novel input which changes the output of pain or the output of altered control, and that's it i mean if it wasn't just that, and it's funny because there's these like two seminal papers, and maybe you can put these in the show notes by a great PT researcher called the name of Chilowski. I used to always refer to a seminal paper like the Modern Mechanisms of Manual Therapy or something like that. He we wrote in 2008, and he just updated it in 2018. And the conclusion is we still really don't know why these things are working. But I mean, there's obviously a plethora of, of studies show that it works, right? And yeah. all things work, and all things work in the short term. But we should only really be caring about the long term for now. But in 10 years, no one still really knows why it works. We just know it's not mechanical. So that's kind of what I call modern manual therapy. You know, you don't need 10 levels of palpation courses and 20 levels of then adjustment manipulation courses to refine your skills. Really, what you should do to refine your skills is to learn how to educate and connect with the patient, to teach them their own self-assessments and self-treatments, and try to minimize manual therapy. So even when I teach manual therapy, I try to teach that it's an ad for anything else. Yeah, and you don't have to go to your seminar every year to keep certified and all this either? No, that's why I have social media. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. very good. Great. That's great. I mean, that's something that I've been looking for. I've interviewed a few people in the past, whether it's tools or they have their own system that they're promoting where it combines all these different things. And it's just kind of fun to see um, people like yourself. They have just this brain where they're able to take everything that they've learned and there's, I only use this tool or I only do this. And then all of a sudden 
no, no, it's not just one thing. Like we just can package it all together, assess it a different way, prescribe what's necessary in a different way. And for some people, like what you're saying, that might readily resonate with a lot of people where they're like, yeah, I'm tired of my thumbs hurting. My patients are tired of being bruised. I need something softer, but it's effective. Right. And, and, and that was, that's really, it was really hard for me to buy. I mean, when I, when I started manual therapy, I like super aggressive sports massage, right? Cause I thought that I needed to have these trigger points. was like elbowed, right? <laughs> I, I, I thought I needed to like, I used to have a trigger point cane in my mat, man cave. And I would just sit there and watch an entire like, Lord of the Rings movie and, you know, pin and stretch a trigger point in my trap. <laughs> because I thought, I thought I needed it to be done. I'm like, man, I can't rub this thing out. I just can't rub this thing out. It's going to take like three hours to rub it out. And it's crazy, right? Like yeah. you think you need it, need it to be done because you use the same techniques on people. Uh, and I never understood. I used to have this massage therapist for space for me. And I never understood. Well, she had the, like the lightest effleurage touch. Like she was barely touching you. And even though in my head, I was like, man, it's possible to be doing anything. I really wish that if this wasn't free, I wouldn't pay for this, you know? Yeah, please and then when, I, when, she, when, when she was done, I would, I would just think like, man, I feel so loose. I just can't believe it. Like there wasn't, any, there wasn't even a placebo effect for me because, you know, everything say now in manual therapy or a lot of the treatments have rapid effects, it's essentially a placebo effect, which doesn't mean fake. It really just means that the patient has a positive expectation. That there's going to be a great outcome from this mm-hmm. interaction. I didn't even have that. I'm like, oh, this is not going to work. I'm just lying here. But, you know, it's a free massage, right? Yeah. It's part of the ribs. Part of the ribs. But I would always get up. I'm like, oh, my head and neck are so loose. I'm like, you know what? I'm not sore. Now I believe, yeah, everything should be super, super light. So my wife and I had like, this um, couple's massage last year. And this massage there was just beating into my calves. And 15 years ago, I would have been like, yeah, you know, pushing it harder. And now I'm like, Ow, it hurts for no reason. There's no need for that. I don't, I'm not going to like, I'm tears coming out of my eye, you know? And, uh, I was, I was sore for the next two days and 50 years ago, the perception of that soreness would have been like, yeah, that was a great massage. And now I'm like, I'm limping around because I know that there was no physical reason why she needed to do that. (laughs) It's not just because I'm getting old. (laughs) Yeah. It's not just that. <laughs> no, it's not just that. It's, it's something else too. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a an instrument based adjuster or spinal manipulation. Um, why can't we have just used spinal manipulation? Why do we have to call it an adjustment when everybody the PTs came in, changed the word, and I, I like their word better sometimes. But anyway, the adjustments. Uh, the, I use an instrument a lot of times. You know, you can do both, but right. And there's some chiropractors. Oh my gosh! Oh, there's no way that instrument works. Rah, rah, rah. And you're like, well, there's actually the research adjustment. that shows it works, and it's not. You don't have to get a running start to move somebody's SI joint. You know, you can actually right. just use one of these guns that has lots of power and lots of speed. You know, boom. Yeah, yeah. It gets the job done. You know, it's funny. It, class, I, well, I was part of that camp too. I would just think like, oh, these carriers and these adjusters, um, or the pro adjuster, just like I don't know, see nothing. It's like yeah, of course. To a what a joke. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and my, I had a Cairo who leased space for me to use that thing all the time, and I was like, man, I can't believe these things work. It's, it's really comfortable, right? It's like a little mini jackhammer. Yeah. But um, the, the thing with that is, and this is part of what I also teach in my courses, is that, is that everything works. Mm-hmm. And if there wouldn't be all these disparate schools of thought that pretty much all hate each other and are all combating each other and saying, like, our way works. Uh, if you reduce our, if you use our way, you get eighty to ninety percent of your patients better. Just that everyone gets eighty to ninety percent of their patients better. You yeah. know, like there wouldn't be counter strain and needling and ISDM and myofascial release and neurodynamics and there would be hands-on adjustment and hands-on manipulation and because it's all just input. Yeah, and that, that's it. You know, and any kind of modern 
studies that look at what I kind of call versus trials, like soft tissue work versus manipulation or manipulation versus needling, the, the long-term outcome is that the results are the same, right? And, in all, and you look at like fake needling or needling versus real needling or sham manipulation versus real manipulation. Sham group also has significant effects. There's no long-term differences or even short-term differences really because there's no, there's no sham treatment as long as there's input. In order to really have a sham treatment, the patient would just have to lie there and, and have nothing. Yeah. But really, the sham treatment is just sort of – it's still some sort of input. It is. Right? And, that, and that's why people people get attached to whatever it is they're doing. Like, oh, I mean, again, you know, 17 years ago, I was, I was so attached because I put thousands and thousands of hours into, like, believing I can, I can, I can feel these facets moving and, and approximating and gapping and whatever. And I put so much work into being the most specific manipulator in the world – and then because you put work into it and you have success, get attached to it. Yeah. So it's hard to have that cognitive dissonance that I had 12 years ago or eight years ago, I should say, when all these like evidence-based practitioners kind of invaded my blog. Like, hey, you know what? You're a dinosaur and you're like attacking me. Oh. You're, you're perpetuating all these massive techniques. And they shifted me as fruiter. And when I, when I really – at first, I kind of got offended and I'm arguing with them and you know, they're all laughing and – I, I, I teach the same concepts now in my course, except for I don't attack people. I, I don't say you're a dinosaur. I say, look, it's a function of these, that these kind of almost stereotypes in a way are still perpetuated in whether it's massage or athletic training or osteopathic. It's like it's all still taught, even though there's a, a great amount of research that shows that there are no mechanical effects or there's no research that shows that, you know, like a weak core or an anterior tilt pelvis or an anterior tip scapula actually causes pain. Yeah. Right? So, why are these things perpetuated? It's because no one ever bothers to invent it. These, these, like we're teaching, again, they have success with whatever it is they're doing. So their success makes them believe that their mechanisms behind or the rationales behind whatever they're doing is true. And that, that's, that's the problem is that it's yeah. their own success. Because every, everyone's successful. No one would teach a technique called the whatever technique if they didn't have like home runs all the time. Right. Yeah, they get so convinced, and you can just get people. I was so excited one day when I found out that if you use an instrument and you hit them in a trigger point a few times versus sticking your thumb in there for a minute, they got the kind of the same results. You know, as far right. as a vast score, I was like, "Yes, this I'm hanging my hat on this one because I don't want to have to stick my thumb and hurt my thumbs all day." I was like, "Yes, oh, I just I click them a few times. This is great." Yeah, and you know the funny thing about that is, um, you know, it's one of the things that I demo in my courses when teaching with the H tool, which is that ISTM tool that I invented. Is that for some reason trigger points are bigger with a hand with a with a palpation by hand. There's something about skin on skin contact, what I call the PNF effect, that makes the trigger point perception bigger to both the palpator and the patient. But when you use like an I when you use an inanimate object, even though you still might be able to find that same kind of what feels like a nodule, but it's not really an entity because you know it's not a physical thing because cadavers don't have trigger points. Um, it's much smaller. Like it might feel like you know, yeah, two centimeters to your fingertip, but it's only going to be like a P yeah. to an inanimate object. And that, that's, that's, I also think is very useful to patients for them to realize that it's not really a physical entity. They need to keep on rubbing out. Yeah. That's also why I use like more slacking techniques instead of striking techniques. Cause if it's a high tone, you know, I, in my courses, I say, look, would you stretch a CP patient or a TBI patient or a CVA patient as hard and as fast as possible? Would you, would you just like elbow them in high tone, expect it to release immediately? And you're like, well, no, 
because high tone would react adversely to that. You reduce the tone. I'm like, well, tone is tone. You know, in an MSK patient and a neuro patient, tone, the t- rules for tone are the same. It's just that in an MSK patient, they don't have an underlying pathology like CP or, you know, a TBI or CA that would keep the tone high. It's right. a tone, tone reduces eventually, basically due to fatigue, where the nervous system kind of relenting to your unending elbowing pressure. <laughs> That's the only reason why, why, it, why it goes away. Let's do this. You, you were mentioning a couple times the, uh, the tool that you created. I'll have a picture of it on your show notes page. Uh, it's it's kind of nice. You know, it's got a nice little grip, different shape, and there's a lot of competition out there. So I don't know if at one point you had a you know, sliver in the pie or a bigger sliver in the pie and all these other people have come out with stuff and it's hitting you a little bit. I'm not sure. But uh, I do like the way it's shaped. I like the way it looks. It seems like it's going to work really well. But you also have some other products. I don't really know what they're about, and I was kind of curious because they looked interesting on your website. Sure. Okay. Let's talk. I have to be my own selfless, uh, shameless self-promoter, right? Everyone's going to self-promote. Okay. The suspension trainer. What is that? Yeah. Well, it's like a TRX, essentially, but it's not a TRX because it's blue. Okay. And for those who don't know what a TRX is. <laughs> oh, it's like um, – if you, it's almost like the origins in what, the, what came to be the TRX was people working out in gymnastics rings. So if you imagine – trying to do something like a, a chest press, but gymnastics rings, it would be a lot more difficult. But you can kind of grade how difficult it is because you're not just doing a full chest press or push-up with full body weight. You can kind of walk away from the suspension point on the wall or A-frame above you so that you're at a bigger angle or a lesser angle. So it's a great way to kind of progress and regress using body weight exercises. And you can challenge your stability quite a bit because you're – the point that you're using in your hands or your legs is suspended. Ah, okay. It helps you cheat a little bit. I'll send you. I'll send you one. You're gonna love it. Okay. Now I have an idea of what the restriction system BFR, whatever that means, the cuffs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I know what it is and what it what it's meant for. But give us a little scenario on that. Do you have YouTube videos of this stuff? I do. Of course, I do. Yeah, Modern Manual Therapy on YouTube or Modern Manual Therapy on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search for those things. Okay. So give us an explanation of what this thing is because it's pretty cool. All right. So BFR stands for Blood Flow Restriction Therapy or Training, depending on whatever you're searching for. Those are the big kind of keywords uh, on search engine optimization. And I don't know exactly how long it's been around. It's been around for decades, um, particularly in Japan. But then uh, most recently – um, it came uh, to popularity basically in the NFL. Through, uh, there was a researcher who's also PT, uh, Johnny Owens, and he teaches for Owens Recovery Science, and he has um, a BFR unit. So basically what they found in the military is that when people were working out under a partial blood flow restriction, which is not the same thing as occlusion. Occlusion would be, you know, you, you just take it on someone. You can literally uh, throw your arm off, and since it's occluded, blood's not going to come squirting out of them. But it, it turns out when you're working out in partial blood flow restriction, so imagine like a blood pressure cuff line, pumping up 150 millimeters of mercury, and you're doing bicep curls, that would probably feel pretty difficult, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how they discovered it, but um, they found that when people were working out in blood flow restriction, was that there was a dramatic increase in human growth hormone and that hypertrophy happened with much lower loads. Because people don't hypertrophy until they're doing about 70 to 80% of your one rep max. And under blood restriction, you can get the same benefits 
a dramatic increase in human growth hormone at only 20 to 30 percent when rep max, which is a very, very big deal for the elderly or someone like in the military. Maybe they have, uh, you know, like a limb blown off by an IED or something. Mm. So it, it's a it's a huge deal because one of the things that our own uh, American Physical Therapy Association has identified in a white paper was that as a profession, we just suck at loading people. And by loading, I mean, we're not prescribing that 78% rep max, you know, like the seniors are coming in, they're deconditioned, and we're pretty much giving them no affair bands and telling them to do three sets of 10. Yeah, I'm not getting sued. That might be 78%, right. that might be 78% of rep max, depending on how deconditioned they are, but it's probably not. Right. Right. And we should be using like these strength and conditioning principles that strength coach uses and a, and a great team uses, but for everyone. Because really, strength training is one of the only evidence-based treatments for almost any condition, no matter what it is. Like, literally, everyone can use better strength training. But we're doing a, a really poor job at it. So back to BFR, it also turns out that when you work out in, under partial blood flow restriction, there's also a significant pain neuromodulation effect that uh, you may have analgesia for up to 24 hours. And maybe you're working out in an industry. Maybe you're working out uh, tendinopathy, which needs like a conventional loading strategy. Um, but that loading strategy is so painful that the patient can't actually dose high enough to make significant physiologic changes to tendon. But under BFR, they could. You know, if someone was post-op and they had uh, surgeries and their atrophy, and they don't have the they don't have the ability to really load their tendon well, you can start off under BFR get that hypertrophy going faster under much lower loads. So oh. it's probably one of the most exciting, and, and, and there's a, a, a huge amount of evidence behind it, probably more evidence than, you know, almost like as much evidence as manipulation has up at this point, except for it hasn't been decades of research. It's only been maybe a decade. Right. It has a, a, a huge amount of research, but because it got popular in the NFL and this guy started teaching it to different clinicians and everything, and now there's several groups like my group. Yeah, it spikes. We have the eclectic approach. Yeah, the eclectic approach to modern strength training. That, I think, is a new ISTM. You mentioned, oh, yeah, have I have I been hit with competition? Absolutely. I got I had a big slice of the pie before. And that was a ton of copies, but that's fine. You okay. know what? Because I can't just rely on only one Halo product to earn my living. BFR is kind of like the new, the new ISTM. Yeah, okay. And then, I don't know if you have these, but I've, I've been seeing this. It's like a TheraBand, but maybe, I don't know, maybe like three or four millimeters thick, and you would wrap it around, like, say, a shoulder, and, like, really tight, and it's really hard to move, and it's supposed to, you know, choke off some of the blood supply. Have you seen those before? Well, it depends. Um, I don't use floss, those. Floss, maybe? Oh, floss, right. Yeah, so we're, we're talking about two different things here, because the BFR cuffs, especially our cuffs... It's like a blood pressure are, cuff. It's a blood pressure cuff, essentially, yeah. Ours have multiple bladders, so it's a little bit harder to get to occlusion, which is other other things have like a single bladder, like a blood pressure cuff, so it's much easier to occlude at low pressures. So people, I mean, you could use anything, right? Even, even most of the researchers say that you can use, you can use like a tourniquet, you can use a <laughs> floss band, but the floss bands are inherently less safe because no no way to control the amount of pressure. Yeah. You know? Um, and and you're, you really should only wrap a certain amount. With BFR, you should be as proximal on your arm, proximal to the leg as possible. You start to get more distal. You start to cover more tissues. The, the main adverse event is nerve damage. Oh, yeah. So you're not supposed to... If you're, even if you're working out like an elbow tendinopathy, you're still going to wrap around it, you know, as closely as possible because there's just less tissue down there. So potentially you can have nerve damage. Okay. Um, so when, so typically what floss is for, and yes, I have I have typically almost my own version of something cheaper. I just I just I just make it less expensive than than the real not the real product but the main name, and I yeah. just call it Edge, and I make it blue. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because all, all my websites are blue and my logos are blue because that's my favorite color. So what, what Floss for, what I call edge mobility bands, is just to reduce the perception of stretch. And a lot of people, when the people who popularize these things, they often do like these max efforts, you know, it's popularizing CrossFit. And, you know, when, when I read these studies or these blog posts, it's like, hey, wrap this around your arm and we'll have more range of motion. You have to wrap it with like, 40% stretch and you only have a 20 to 30 second window before your arm goes numb. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I do have I do have great shoulder range of motion, but oh man, <laughs> now I have this crazy paresthesia literally cutting off blood supply. I hope that comes That's back probably quick. not a great idea. <laughs> yeah. That's not a great idea, but again, people have success with that. CrossFit really buys into it because it hurts and they think it's great. Oh yeah. But then, like just like anything else, like how I teach ISTM, because I teach, uh, I use mobility bands in my courses, now I just say like, you only need to wrap as lightly as possible because it's light compression it's just novel stimulus and people, especially light compression, when something hurts, what do you do? Like your shoulder hurts, you compress it. You don't like rip the skin from the fascia, right? <laughs> you never ever try to rip something off when it's sore. You compress it. So compression uh, kind of enhances stability from like a DNS standpoint. And it just feels like it feels novel, right? Yeah. So it turns out that very light compression, um, the way I prescribe, you just wrap it as lightly as you can, just minimal stretch. And it the way I think it works is because it decreases the perception of stretch. Anytime you dramatically increase motion on anything, whether it's like a median nerve neurodynamic stretch or just playing you know, like a squat or a lunge versus your knee might hurt before you wrap your thigh and then you wrap your thigh and all of a sudden you can squat fully. It's mostly because it's the perception of stretch that cues the neurotag in the brain that this is now a behavior or a movement or position that you should not be doing. But that neurotag is not activated when the perception of stretch is eliminated, right? Because all the brain can focus on is, hey, what's this? Oh, the impression feels really nice. Then they get to the squat or they, they elevate their arm or they do a bicep curl. So because it's kind of concentrated on a new novel stimulus, neurotag is not activated so the output of pain doesn't occur. And, and you know, just like how when people kind of stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch, they're like, oh, I have to warm up my hamstrings. All you're really doing with repeated motions is reducing the perception of stretch. But this dramatically and rapidly reduces the perception of stretch. Because anytime you, anytime you increase tissue extensibility rapidly, you didn't lengthen something, because if you lengthen something immediately, that would be proper. Right? Wow. So all you're, doing is changing the, all you're doing is changing the perception. And this changes that perception through the novel stimulus of light compression. I'm not really in charge of, say, the acupuncture. We, we work in the same department, but I'm just like, look, ask your thing. Y'all are the experts. I just think you should do it. Okay. Sometimes they'll get in there with a long needle, like in the fascia, say, in the low back, and they're like, oh, they keep hurting. And they'll kind of insert it long ways and just kind of scrape around. And <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? It, it, I think – Wait, 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 wait. You mean long ways. You mean like they're going to take a long needle and scrape – parallel to the skin yeah but underneath is that what you say yeah yeah so like not. like if you know there's fascia <laughs> connecting to the skin i'm just like so are you like breaking like slicing all like the fascia to like when you're doing a cadaver you know you get all that like the, the fascia like are you like slicing that off is that what's happening and like that's gonna make you're taking it... the skin off the chicken yeah 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 <laughs> that's exactly what it is. like that and and here, here's the thing again it's a novel stimulus it's gonna work <laughs> they're gonna have success with it hey you know what though i'm happy for them because that is an acupuncture not the not the generalized acupuncturist but that is an acupuncturist doing an active a bit more active technique because my idea of acupuncture is like having 20 people lying around with like half blue needles all over them. Well, that's most and of the people. They get, they, get to see so, they get to see so many patients that way. 
You don't, have to, you don't have to interact with them at all. You don't have to talk to them. You just lie there, get deals in them. I'll see you in you a know. half hour. Man, they have a maid. They can really see a lot of high volume of patients. Yeah. Don't tell them that. They might get upset with you. <laughs> I, I, like I said, good and bad in every profession. That's right. In every profession. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's round this out. I really would like to know. Like I mentioned in the beginning, I have my own system that I use, you know, I pay for it and everything. But you're talking about using Google, the Google <laughs> Suite, EMR 2.0. How in the world are you able to do I – mean, I know it's a, it's a paid program, I think, but give us like a, a round. How does this work? Is it HIPAA compliant? I mean, do you have like a fancy template that you can just like check boxes or you have to type all your notes out? What's going on? Well – Google has G Suite, right? It used to be called um, Google Apps, the G Suite, and that's their version of Microsoft's Office. Correct. And if you if you sign, you know, I like a lot of space PTs or people who are starting. We wanted to have as low overhead as possible, and for one user, it either costs five dollars a month or nine dollars a month, and that's if you really want to make the that's all you have to pay for what is essentially. Um, a, a way to run your office. You can do your scheduling. You can do online patient intake forms. I do my uh, notes and my evaluations there. It doesn't do billing, but it could potentially, maybe for additional fee. Uh, because it's anything anything you can do in Google Forms or Google Docs, it is HIPAA compliant because if you use, if you're not using like your personal Gmail, you're paying for a, a G Suite account. You send what's called a BAA or Business Associates Agreement with Google. And that means that they will make, you know, they're, they're, now that we have, we're in a business associates agreement, it is now HIPAA compliant. We're not going to share the data, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's actually protected like if somebody were to, you know, open, if you opened your calendar on your phone, did you have like a password to protect it or something? Or Right. Um, the way that I, when I sell this package, it's $97, managementabilitysystem.com. It's not, I'm going to do this all for you, but I'm going to show you the system that I use and I've taught other people to use how to use Google Calendar and, and Google Docs and Google Forms to kind of make your own forms to fill out online to patient information. So anything that you can do, like an Oswestry, for example, you can have a page send link to an Oswestry. It doesn't get shared anywhere else because it's all stored in Google service. It's all cloud, right? Wow. So it, it's, all, it's all under that Google account. And as long as you're not like using a lot of third-party extensions, I mean, anything can easily be non-compliant. You can have the most secure server in the world and you fax something, and then it's not compliant because the fax just sits around in someone's office, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's kind of what um, I always tell people, like, oh, what about this? What about email? What about messaging? Like, it, it's all compliant as long as it's on your side, but that's as far as you can control it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's basically, it in a nutshell, it's, it's, you know, Google Forms is something that you can use to make any kind of online form. So you can make, like I've made like a selective functional movement assessment form. I've made an Oswestry. I make up my online patient intake. And again, I can share that as a link too. You can just see how any you can make it boxes. You can make it fill in. It's also used for, in education in the U.S. a lot for, for tests. So and you can make it so that it can be a short answer. It can be just check boxes. You know, the medical history, I have just like a little thing. to check this. Yes, 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 yes. You know, right? So that, that's basically how it works. And, um, it, is, it is compliance as long as you're compliant. You know, don't use your personal Gmail account. and Yeah. Do that BAA, pay the $10 or $5 or whatever it is these days per month. Yeah. If you, right. If someone's still never upgraded yet and they're still using paper charts, that's wild. Which, which is a lot of people. It's a That's lot of crazy. People. Yeah. But these people could probably somehow 
scan their paper, use cam scanner, take a picture of it, probably go on Fiverr yeah. and say, look, I need this to be where I can just kind of like a click a box and it puts an X that I did this. You know, because you think chiropractic, did I adjust the cervical, the low back, and the SI joint? You know, you don't want to have to write that out. If I can just click a button and have like, I don't know, six days on one piece of paper and then like underneath it maybe have the soap note or, you know, something. You can probably pay somebody anything, on Fiverr Anything you ever entered on paper, you can make a Google, Google form for. Absolutely. Okay. But you said about your phone on your phone. Yeah, technically, um, all the, if you're using all the same Google apps on your phone, every phone in every system has some sort of like double password, right? So that's like the minimum for EMR. Hmm. So say everything like my iPhone, it has a face ID, plus you'd have to log in a Google account. So what I, what I teach is like you should you be using Google Chrome, on your desktop or Chromebook or MacBook or something like that, you should log out at the end of every day. So the, your initial login is going to be Face ID or your print or something like that. Then you actually have to log into your computer. Then you actually have to log into your Gmail account. That's your, that's your double password. If you, and if you shut your computer or you, you can lock it every time, if you lock every time, as long as you have your screen set to lock, so someone can't just go up to your computer and just start accessing patient information because they'd have to enter in the first password, Plus, also the login to your G Suite account. Ah, uh, and like you said, that's nice. Google Chrome, the Chromebooks—they're pretty inexpensive, so you don't even have to buy like this fancy computer because you can just boop, boop, close it, put it in like a locked drawer at the end of the day or whatever, and you didn't even have to spend a fortune on a computer to make this thing run either. Right, absolutely. You know, a ninety-nine dollar Chromebook is just going to be a little slower than what you're used to, but yeah, for for doing documentation, it's perfect. Wow, we. Fantastic. Uh, anything else on that that you'd like to that you think's important? Cover, uh, covered it all. Pretty much. I mean, you know, you can go inexpensiveemr.com. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll share this, I'll share the system with you. It's inexpensiveemr.com. All my products are on edgemobilitysystem.com. Which now, uh, Doc Justin here is an affiliate of. So I'll give all your listeners a ten percent coupon off of anything at edgemobilitysystem.com. You can always contact me. Uh, you know, e- email reach me, reach out to me on uh, any of my social medias modmt.com slash Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter um, if you want to follow me on your social media platform of choice. Perfect. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, and before you go, any favorite books, podcasts, or anything like that you want to share with anybody? Uh, my favorite book uh, for clinicians is Therapeutic Neuroscience Education that talks a lot about modern pain science and how to educate a patient on you know, basically what nocebo is. You go to, you go to a uh, a patient goes to a block, you know, like, oh, you have a weak core, this is in another place, your posterior rotated anatomy, this and that, you know, it makes people feel fragile and it gives them the, makes them uh, feel like they need past care, like an adjustment or manipulation or needling or whatever. You type fascia, you need to be scraped out. So it's more, it's a more modern way to educate a patient in their own needs for the, the recovery. They have to play an active participant recovery, but also it's, it's not to use negative terminology and be pathoanatomical explain pain in such a way like a blown up disc or things that might be more fear-mongering things that don't necessarily cause pain. So therapeutic neuroscience education, I can give you the link for that. A guide to better movement is something I share with patients. Also, every clinician should read anyone who's basically involved with movement. Um, It's written by a guy who was classically trained as a lawyer, then he became a rolfer. He kind of discovered pain science and modern movement. So it's, it's the book that if I was a much better author, I would have written um, but it, you know, Todd Hargrove wrote it for me. He's, he's an amazing guy. Um, 
Let's see. Matthew Walker, Professor Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep. That was kind of game-changing for me. Hmm. It, uh, if you are an, a living human being, you should know why you should sleep. <laughs> yeah. I think nutrition might be the most important thing that we could do, but now I think sleep, then nutrition is a, is a close second. But, um, yeah, why we sleep, that was a, definitely a game changer for me. And I, I've incorporated a lot of these concepts with nutrition and sleep into my, my latest seminar, Modern Patient Education. So that's also available on edgemobilitysystem.com. <laughs> I like how everything's kind of in one place. It's really nice, actually. It should be. It should be. Yeah. All right. Dr. E, you really brought it today. I really appreciate it. I, I do think the guests are going to enjoy this episode because you shared a lot of, uh, I think, some things we could actually take home, think about, uh, and nothing else. Go to the website and see what these products are, especially that uh, BFR cuff. That really tweaked my uh, interest. You know, I didn't realize it was so uh, research-based and had such uh, far-reaching benefits uh, like you talked about. So really appreciate you coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. I'll have you on my podcast uh, one of these days. Absolutely. That wraps up another episode. I want to remind everybody that we have some great affiliate links available. If you're into instrument-assisted soft tissue manipulation, we've got the Edge tool and we've got the Hawk Grips. Saves you about 10%. Also with the Edge, you've got the uh, like blood pressure cuff restriction system. You've got the G Suite inexpensive EMR in case you'd like doing cash practice. If you want to know what hosting I use for podcasting, it's Blueberry. Pure VPN. That's one of those ones I use to help keep my payments secure as well as access the internet more safely. You've got the Primal Paleo grass-fed protein, bone broth style. Save 10% on that. No sugar, allergy-free, gluten-free, dairy-free, all those types of things. Mentor box. Get taught by the author. We got set for set for those floss bands that you may have heard about on one of the episodes. Really like those. Any Amazon products that you might want, click the link in the show notes pages. And of course, I got my own electric acupuncture pin to go with the No Needle Acupuncture book. From time to time, you know, I'll have a bundle set where you can get them all together for a great price. I also have the free downloads at doctorsperspective.net slash blueprints. And what lately I've been doing is substituting a fifth one, like I've done a knee. And depending on the guest, I might do a different type. So check back there. So all those resources can be found at doctorsperspective.net slash resources. There's also t-shirts at .net slash t-shirts. Put up some new designs from time to time, like making lemons out of lemonade, shrimp po' boy, plus all the chiropractic and podcast swag that you could want. If you have any ideas for guests, please send me an email, justin at a doctorsperspective.net. I'd love to hear who you think would be good or a profession that you may not have heard yet. If you can, send me a review. That's .net slash subscribe, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Android devices. You just click that button. It'll take you exactly to the page you need to. You can write a review, hopefully a five-star review. Like I said, it does help for other people to discover what we're doing here. And we've got over 100 episodes. This is going to be like our third year. Super excited. We're going to have a little mini-series like we've been doing, which has been fun. Hope you've enjoyed them as well. That's, that's the feedback I've gotten. And one thing I haven't really talked about too much is the doctorsperspective.net slash support page. If you want to host a cup of coffee, go for it. If you want to pledge a little higher fee, there's buttons for that. There's even monthly recurring. For those who feel like, wow, this is like the cheapest mentor coach program I've ever seen because you interview so many different kinds of doctors and, and I've been able to implement things that I've heard and it works. So monthly recurring payments, which also can get you my books for free, t-shirts for free. Uh, the first book, you know, that deals with health and exercise, getting on a diet, getting your financial health in order as well. Things I've learned in China. You know, that book is available as well. 
And one thing that I don't have, I don't have like a, a full-blown page about coaching and things, but there's a little button there. I've had people request, hey, doctors and non-doctors asking me, can I do more than just answer a couple of questions? Or could you be my coach for a little while? And I say, yeah, we can do that. So it's something I haven't really advertised, but it's something that I can do and do, whether it's marketing, some strategies for new patients, growth, those types of topics. If you're interested, just email me, justin at a doctorsperspective.net. As always, listen, critically think, and implement. Have a great week. We just went hashtag behind the curtain. I hope you will listen and integrate what some of these guests have said. By all means, please share across your social media, write a review, and if you go to the show notes page, you can find all the references for today's guests. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.